We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. So one of the things I've been thinking about is how much the Lord is is this principle of agents that has been creeping up yeah. through the last couple of lessons, how he's trying to teach the saints to act on principles, to use, to figure things out, that even though you have a prophet who oftentimes is asked very specific revelations for very specific people and he gets them answers, the, you know, why doesn't that pattern continue? I want, you know, I would wonder, you know, why isn't one is because like Moses, he cannot do everything. When Moses was meeting with the Israelites and trying to, uh, what's it called, like mediate issues and answer problems, it was just too much. And so then that's when the Lord said, well, here's your brother Aaron, organize the tribes, have, you know, and it's kind of a very similar field to now that we're talking about this principle of Zion in the in the kingdom. There's almost like this uh, delegation of responsibility and ability to act on information, you know, which I really like because we have a false sense that you know the, the Lord is is a, a micromanager. It's kind of like. I know he knows me. I know he's aware of me. Therefore, every little thing I do must matter to him. And he must have control over every little thing, right? And that's that's where those two principles kind of divide. Yes, he does know you. Yes, everything you do does matter to him. But he's not going to dictate every little thing you do. He he wants you to understand the principles, the concepts, and then say, okay, follow that, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's where people get a little bit confused is they're expecting you know, to be able to pray about um, everything. And while I'm certain that you can pray for guidance on everything, there may be some times when the Lord is like, you know what, either way is fine. It's up to you. That, that's like 90% of the answers I get. Yeah. Because my, my questions are, are neither one is really all that bad. And I'm just like, I just, I just want to know which one will be better. And the answer is like, you figured out, you know, you're fine. <laughs> for me, like there's, there's, um, I always go back to what is the purpose of this existence? You know, if it's if we think about its purpose is we are all as of the fall of Adam, we're all being punished because a mistake was made a really long time ago and we just have to endure it and hopefully get rewarded. Then that kind of Lord and Savior or God that just like micromanages us makes sense, you know, yeah. If we are here to be tested and use our agency and learn to ch make choices on our own based on principles, correct principles and incorrect principles, then 
the then then this makes sense. I had a interesting thought because you know right away the Lord in section 64 he says you know the elders of the church listen and uh, receive my will. I want you to overcome the world through compassion. And there are some of you who have sinned in verse three, but I, you know, I forgive you your sins and I will be merciful unto you. And then in in verse seven through ten, the Lord very specifically says, um, "Nevertheless, he that has sinned, but verily I say unto you." Well, it's talking in verse five. It's talking about Joseph Smith Jr. having the rights to the kingdom, and people taking issue with some of his imperfections. Um, in verse 6, he says, there are those who have sought occasion against him without cause. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, there are some of you who are getting upset for no reason. Okay. <laughs> and then in verse 7, he says, nevertheless, he's not perfect. He has flaws. But I say unto you, I, the Lord, forgive sins unto those who confess their sins before me and ask for forgiveness, who have not sinned unto death. My disciples in the days days of old sought occasion against one another and forgave not one another in their hearts and for this evil they were afflicted and sorely chastened that part right there they were afflicted and sorely chastened that's interesting to me because who where does this affliction come from is that they're separated from the punishment from being chastened right that affliction is brought on yourself when you don't forgive when, and when you sin and you don't seek forgiveness, you might have that affliction, and that that's on that's something you're doing to yourself, right? The chastening comes from the Lord, but that affliction is it's interesting because you 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 think about like what do I have control over, and what is what do I not have control over? And in this sense, I think when you're obedient and when you're willing to forgive others, even when they do you wrong, you don't feel that heaviness, that burden anymore, that affliction, right? And it's completely up to you yeah. either to seek it out so that you can relieve it, relieve it from a, a sin that you've committed or someone's done something to you and you just feel that heavy burden on you of I don't want to see that person or especially in families. You know, when, when you get together as a family and there's this kind of tension because there's been a fence or something like that and two people, you know, aren't getting along. And so there's. Maybe they're they're avoiding each other completely, but there's still like that kind of heaviness. Yeah. And that that is an affliction that they're carrying around with them and that they're burdening other people with too. And it's just like, listen, if I'm going to forgive people, then they should too. And if you don't, this is what happens. Yeah, I, I like that because it reminds you that if you are in a spirit or a state of mind of not forgiving someone, then what feelings are you harboring? You know, those feelings would be resentment, anger, vengeance, uh, despising someone, you know, and those feelings without, they're not constructive feelings. They seem to toxic and taint you. And then it's doing harm when nothing else is happening. It's like you're, you're holding on to these feelings. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, it's all in degrees. You know, there are certain things that are easier to forgive than others. There are certain wrongs, especially that are very hurtful things that can scar you for life. Now, one of the things for me that I like to think about is that forgiveness is a is a skill. 
you know, that can be developed. And although initially can be very difficult, it won't always be. And, and that's something I have to remind myself with any gospel principle is that initially it could be absolutely take a lot of faith. It could it could take a lot of effort. It could take a lot of presence and, and voluntary presence of mind to do something different than what your nature is trying to tell you to do or what's easier to do. But it won't always be like that. That's how the gospel changes our hearts is as we can continue to strive and proactively do the right thing eventually. That's where I jump down to verse 31 and 32 that I really liked and that kind of drive that point home is the Lord is saying, Behold, I, the Lord, declare unto you, and my words are sure and shall not fail, that they shall obtain it. And in this sense, he's talking about the land of their inheritance in Zion. Right. This will come to pass. But for me, I, I take it, I, I think about it more in the sense of these principles and these commandments that we are to forgive others and to develop these Christ-like attributes that that effort will not be in vain. And then verse 32 where it says, but all things must come to pass in their time. Meaning the day will come when the wrongs will be righted, when the scars will fully heal, when our our ability to do Christ-like things in some aspects won't be so hard. It will be part of who we are. But all things must come to pass in their time. That's probably one of the most difficult lessons to learn in this mortal life because we're we're so caught up in plans and schedules and things like that that we have an idea of when we want things to happen. And when it doesn't come out that way, it can be really frustrating when you don't get a job that you wanted, when you don't have a child when you want one, when you uh, when someone passes away seemingly prematurely. That can be incredibly difficult to learn that everything will come to pass in its time, right? Uh, and then the, the very next line that in, in verse 33, wherefore be not weary in well-doing, for ye are laying the foundation of a great work, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in the last days. Don't get tired of doing good things. Don't look at it and say, well, I'm trying my best and my blessings aren't coming. I just, I, I just, I can't anymore. Don't get, don't like wear yourself. Don't allow yourself to be worn out. Stay the course is what he's saying. And he's saying, you know, every little thing that you're doing now may not seem so significant, but it is in the long run. This is a great work. And this is on the shoulders of, I mean, he's speaking to these brethren that went to independence to kind of set up the land, buy land and do all this. And there was a lot of disagreements. Um, (laughs) There was a lot of stuff that didn't go super smoothly um, during that whole time. In fact, in the, let's see, it's the Joseph Smith Revelations book. Um, Revelation 11, September 1831, which is section 64. um, He's talking about how they're getting back from independence, uh, Independence, Missouri, and they had identified the site for the city of Zion, a dedication of land for the temple, a lot of good stuff going on, but they had really high expectations of what it was going to be like, 
Um, some people were dissatisfied with the kind of land that they were getting. Uh, the mission to the Lamanites uh, that was carried out by Oliver Cowdery and his companions was kind of a flop. It didn't really work out super well. They didn't really have a lot of response. Um, even people in Independence weren't super thrilled to hear about the gospel. Even the way they traveled, some of them had walked and others had gone. You remember back when some, some of them were on the river and some of them were on the sides. And there was some resentment about that, about how we walked the whole way and we tried our best. And some other people went by stagecoach and canal. And why couldn't we have gone that way? Like, there was a lot of stuff going on there that I think the Lord is looking at this and he's saying, we're on the precipice of turning this kind of angst and frustration into resentment and anger and division. And he's intervening with this revelation by saying, listen, first of all, any, anything that you have against each other, you need to forgive each other. You need to be of one one heart and one mind. Like, I, I know it doesn't seem ideal. And I know this isn't a perfect scenario for everybody. But everything will happen when it's time to happen. And keep in mind that you are laying the foundation of a great work. This is not the work. You're not seeing the end result yet. Well, that's really hard for us to see, though. That's really hard sometimes when you're in it's the thick also, of it. It's also really hard. It's kind of like um, when James and John go to the Lord and they say, hey, um, which one of us, would you let us have a place in your right hand, you know, when we're in heaven? And, and Christ kind of says to them, you know, one, that's not for me to give. That's for my father to decide. And two, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And the kingdom of heaven is like a, a child. You know, that this. so he's kind of pointing to them, what you're worrying and what you're valuing is taking you from the actual purpose of being a leader or being a disciple, right? And sometimes it's, it's so easy, and I, we all do this, where we compare... Like you mentioned, like, oh, why do they get to take the boat? Why do we have to walk? Why do they get a car on their mission or their cell phone? And I got a, you know, a notebook, if that, you know, <laughs> why did this? And so there becomes this, and I'm not, in our present day, in our modern life, there is a lot of comparisons and posturing. Why do these people get this? Why do this? And, you know, and coming back to back up to the topic of forgiveness on section 64 verse 9 and 10 then we have the famous one of the most famous scriptures where he says wherefore i the lord say unto you that you ought to forgive one another for he that forgiveth not his brother his trespasses standeth condemned before the lord for there remaineth in him a greater sin and i the lord will forgive whom i will forgive but for you it is required to forgive all men I don't think the Lord is using this to excuse bad behavior. Let people get away with doing bad things. <laughs> I think he's trying, because sometimes that's why we don't forgive. Well, if I forgive, they won't learn their lesson, or they'll continue to hurt other people, or this and that. That's not it. It's deeper than that, and it's something to be pondered and thought about. Why? And he's saying, forgive not his brother's trespasses. Those are things that offend us, that disturb us, that hurt us, you know. If I can't find a way of forgiving that individual. And forgiveness and trust are different things, too. You can trust someone 
and they can lose that trust. But you can also forgive them, meaning it's no longer in your mind to get vengeance, revenge, or to have that toxicity continue to poison you, you know? Well, there's, I, I think forgiveness is on you. You have to forgive others. But the trust part, that's on them. They need to earn that. And that's something where I can say, look, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to forgive you, but I don't trust you yet. Yeah. And that that is separate from me forgiving you. I don't hold, like you said, I don't hold vengeance or, or any ill thought about you, about this situation. But I still don't trust you quite yet. And that is that takes time. And that takes a lot of effort from the forgiven person, right? Yeah, and it's also, you know, when I remember when when you're little in primary, you learn repentance. We're told that it begins with having sorrow for the sin, confessing the sin, abandoning it, restitution, and then righteous living, like going and, and doing good habits, replacing whatever that was with good habits. Um, sometimes when we ask for forgiveness from someone, often we're, we want to earn their trust back. And we want to pretend as, oh, if you forgive me, that means I can borrow your car again, right? Or else you didn't forgive me. Yeah. No, forgiveness is I forgive you. But you need to do some of these steps. We can't forget. And that restitution in the, in the, in the church website, it says, on restitution, it says, we must restore as far as possible all that has been damaged by our actions whether that is someone's property or someone's good reputation. Willing restitution shows the Lord that we will do all we can to repent. And so oftentimes, just as we can not be good at forgiving, sometimes we seek forgiveness because we're all commanded to forgive each other. But as as the person who did the wrong, we need to own up the fact that we can ask for forgiveness is like you mentioned their action but that restitution that part of i'm going to do everything again i'll repair the window and that's where when we talk about sins that have to deal with chastity or sins that have to deal with like harming someone's reputation can they're grave things because it's hard to restore that and some things can't be restored yeah well, I kind of think of this as like a covenant between two people where one person is saying, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to move past this and I'm not going to continue to bring this instance up over and over again. You know, I'm going to I'm going to give you that. And the other person has to say, OK, I, I'm going to accept that. And in return, I'm going to earn your trust by either restoring something that I've done or just over time showing you that I am trustworthy, that I'm reliable, and that I'm, I'm worthy of your ongoing trust. And I think that a lot of times we think, oh, I've been forgiven, so I'm good now. So we're good, right? We're, you and me, we're good, right? And then it's like, well, yes, I've forgiven you. I'm not going to hold this over you anymore, but we're, we'll, we'll work our way back to being good again. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that discounts the forgiveness. I think it's a bit unreasonable to say when when you say you've forgiven me, that means you trust me wholeheartedly again. Well, not yet. Yeah, it's it's like a good friendship takes blocks of shared experiences like bricks on a on a wall, and unfortunately, some actions can tear down the wall. 
And when you forgive someone, you're basically saying, I'm not going to tear down your other wall. I forgive you. You know, I'm not going to like eye for an eye, try to get revenge. But if you and I want to go back to where we need to be, we're going to have to start putting this wall together. And it's one brick at a time again. It doesn't magically get built again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, one one last thing on this steps to forgiveness. The, the last one that's really good from from the church website where it says the last step is called righteous living. And it says it is not enough to simply try to resist evil and empty our lives of sin. We must fill our lives with righteousness and engage in activities that bring spiritual power. We must immerse ourselves in the scriptures and pray daily to the Lord to give us strength beyond our own. At times, we should fast for special blessings. Full obedience brings the complete power of the gospel into our lives, including increasing strength to overcome our weaknesses. This obedience includes actions we might not initially consider part of repentance, such as attending meetings, paying tithing, giving service, forgiving others. The Lord promises, he that repenteth and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. What what really stuck out to me in that uh, explanation was that when it says this obedience includes actions we might not initially consider part of repentance. And so I I would I would share that as we repent it's not going to be a cookie cutter repentance for everybody. We have to truly seek for the when we when we're sorry when we're trying to repent for what is the right thing to do. And I think as we know in all these scriptures and lessons, if we do it with real intention and we seek the spirit that the Lord will give us revelation on how to how to overcome and how to learn from these mistakes. That's the other thing. Mistakes in either mistakes in hurtful things we do to each other was built into the recipe of this of, of this life. We knew this was going to happen. It's an essential part of this existence, learning how to get along. Uh, in, on, in, in, in order to get along, we have to have differences. We have to have reason to forgive. We have to have mistakes. We have to have anger. We have to have these things. And so it's not, you know, just like the gospel, as, as we partake of the gospel and we do the best we can, in, in the lesson, it tells us very clearly Fortunately, Building Zion in Missouri in 1831, or in our hearts and words today, doesn't require us to be perfect. Instead of you, it is required to forgive. And that, when 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 I read that in the lesson, to me, it kind of framed it in a way that forgiveness and having these interactions that require forgiveness are a path to growth, are a path to perfection. If we do it correctly. If we take the time to forgive, to empty ourselves of those bad feelings, to build trust again, and as the ones committing the the act that needs forgiveness, that we quickly repent. We try to restore and we try to analyze what habits did I have, do I have, that cause the need to be forgiven or that I cause harm to others. Oh, let me replace those habits with good habits. I think that's part of part of that next section of the Lord asks for our heart and willing mind, because when you're not going to be doing forgiveness half-heartedly either. And I think that that's 
we've talked about that in the past a little bit in previous lessons about how you know a contrite spirit in a in real intent and stuff like that and i think what he's saying is if you're going to be a part of the work of building the kingdom of god on earth <laughs> um you have to be in it a hundred percent you can't as uh i think it was neil l maxwell said you can't have or a summer cottage in babylon that really resonated with me because i think a lot of times that we we think that we're all the way in, but then there's something that makes us uncomfortable that makes us feel like, oh, gosh, no, this is for real. You know, I really have to be all in. Mm-hmm. Or we have these little kind of lingering habits or little pet sins that we like to do that are hard to get rid of. And the Lord's saying, I need your heart, which means I need your honesty. I need your belief. I need your faith. And I need your willing mind, your thoughts and your actions being put into to place uh, it's not just okay i believe it so i'm part of it it's i believe it and i'm doing it those two things put together are your heart and your willing mind in the lesson in the sunday school lesson it kind of talks about a mosaic or a brick building and how each one of those is made up if you've seen some of the mosaics i, I guess not too, too long ago i think it was because they had less foot traffic due to covid in pompeii in italy they were able to uncover some new stuff that hasn't been exposed before. And they found these really, really intricate mosaics that no one had ever seen before. There already were some, but they found some new ones. And just really elaborate stuff. And you think about it, if every action in your life or every day or every era of your life is one of those little tiles, and it's building something that maybe in that moment you can't see. And the Lord is helping you place each one of those tiles in the right place at the right time to build what you're going to become in the end. It puts a little bit more importance in, in each action and each decision you make. Here's a, here's one by Elder Donald L. Hallstrom. This is from the Sunday School Manual. Um, he says, The heart is symbolic of love and commitment. We make sacrifices and bear burdens for those we love that we would not endure for any other reason. If love does not exist, our commitment wanes. Having a willing mind connotes giving our best effort and finest thinking and seeking God's wisdom. It suggests that our most devoted lifetime study should be of things that are eternal in nature. It means that there must be an inextricable relationship between hearing the word of God and obeying it. It kind of goes with what I was saying. It's not just about believing. It's also about doing it. And even if you do it without believing, um, eventually the idea is that you'll build that testimony. There's something that you don't have a, uh, your heart in yet, but you know is what you're supposed to do. Try doing it first and seeing if that testimony builds after. I um, I think also we need to be, we need to embrace the fact that when we feel the need to be corrected or get corrected or we need to change, that we don't cast everything out, that we, that we accept the change and change, you know? Just like sometimes for you, the forgiveness or the repentance or the or the thing you need to do is just get to church. Just get there. Just get in the door and sit down. And, and then from there on, just make that a habit. And the next time is just you get there and uh, try to participate or try to meet somebody. And then the next time is... Now get there and participate and maybe volunteer for something. 
you know, and, and it could be simple. And sometimes when we feel the changes tugging at our heart, there can be a temptation to say, oh, man, I'm so dumb. I can't believe I, I can't believe I was treating someone like that. Oh, I'm never going to make it. And, and we can despair. And correction shouldn't lead us to despair. And that's a real temptation. That's why in verse, in Doctrine and Covenant 66, with um, this gentleman who receives answers, he has these five questions, you know, uh, I think his name is um, William oh. McClellan. Yeah. And it lets us know in like, uh, in all the history and in, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Revelations in Context, we don't know what those questions were. <laughs> we just know that the Lord answered them here. And then when you read the whole thing, you could apply this to yourself. This is really good advice. But there are two things that really stuck out to me. It was in verse 9 when he's told, be patient in affliction. So he's being told a lot of good things. But one is be patient in affliction. Meaning just because you're on the Lord's errand, just because you've committed yourself to improve, doesn't mean you're, you're exempt from, you're going to feel some affliction. That doesn't mean you're bad. That doesn't mean you're evil. That doesn't mean it's not working. But be patient in affliction. And the second one was seek not to be cumbered. And I looked that up to see what does that mean? What the heck does that mean? And it's it means either seek not to be weighed down, to be burdened, to hamper, hinder, to get in the way, to litter, clutter up, in other words, or distress is another word. And to me, I thought seek not. The way it spoke to me was seek not to overcomplicate things. Yeah. And and when I was thinking about that and I was thinking about, you know, as we as we progress and the Lord here, he's giving him some real warnings, you know, like don't commit adultery in this, which I know this is a temptation for you. Yeah. But in that same sentence, he's saying, keep these things, be faithful, uh, uh, you know, he's received the everlasting covenant, which I think it's he has a ceiling. He has a family and he's being told that you're going to receive a crown of eternal life, you know, and sometimes we we can be so hard on our process. And this is the quote I wanted to share that it's a C.S. Lewis quote. It's from The Great Divorce. <laughs> and and it says. It says, son, he said. You cannot in your present state understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for this. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even the agony into glory. And of some sinful pleasures, they say, let me have this now and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of the sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good man's past being begins to change the good man's past begins to change so that his forgiving sins and remember sorrows take on the quality of heaven. And that man's past and the bad man's past already conforms to his badness and is filled only with dreariness. And that is why the blessed would say, we have never lived anywhere except heaven. And the lost will say, we were always in hell. And both will speak truly. Hmm. And I really like that quote because it, it kind of, we if we envision that process, 
that the atonement, part of it that is so hard to understand is that it is eternal. That it will it will cleanse the past, the present, and the future. And that damnation is equally the same. No amount of pleasure now will be comforting on those days when you have to account for your actions. Well, that, that leads me to, there's another quote in here by uh, Dallin H. Oaks. He says, what if the day of Jesus Christ's coming were tomorrow? If we knew that we would meet the Lord tomorrow through our premature death or through his unexpected coming, what would we do today? What confession would we make? What practices would we discontinue? What accounts would we settle? What forgivenesses would we extend? What testimonies would we bear? And it's very difficult to maintain that level of like preparedness all the time. I think uh, what he's getting at there is that we should live every day as if it's our last. And, and if we need to forgive someone, do it now. Don't wait. And if you need to settle an account, do it now. Don't wait. And if you need to repent of something, do it now. You don't have the luxury of waiting. Um, and it is hard to to live that prepared. But at the same time, we're given the counsel to be not weary in well-doing. Don't, don't get tired of it. Always try and find a way to rejoice in it. In, in finding a way to be the best you can be all the time. I don't remember how old I was. I must have been a teenager, though, because I'm pretty sure that's when my parents started to think, you know, this kid's either going to turn into something good or he's going to fall off and turn something bad. <laughs> and so I remember my dad uh, printed that out on a piece of paper and stuck it to our front door, on the back of our front door. So it's the last thing you see before you leave the house. Be not weary in well-doing. And he didn't make a huge production out of it. It wasn't, you know, uh, a lesson or anything. I remember him just kind of putting it there and kind of mentioning it. He may have done like a family home evening or something. I don't remember. But the whole point was get this in your head. Don't Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Don't allow yourself to slack. Don't allow yourself to be lazy in, in righteousness. Like just do the right thing whenever possible all the time and it stuck with me all this time and there's been times when i've been weary of well-doing and i think uh, you want to give yourself some sort of vacation and, and indulge a little bit in something that maybe you shouldn't but you always have to remember that salvation doesn't come to those that just timed it right and were doing the right thing at the right time Right. It's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing process. It's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's it's uh, all of that combined into doing your best to be righteous all the time, even regardless of if you're tired of it. <laughs> yeah, that that's key. I mean, I look at, you know, I love those Nova TV specials of like <laughs> the cosmos, you know, where he talks about how a star is born, you know, the, to the best of what we know, right? right. And, and it's like this process that takes millions of years, millions, if not billions, you know, and it's like oh, a little bit of dust gathers and this happens and in the right setting and the, all these things. And then you look at things like, you know, plants, you know, uh, you know, this little tiny seed and, and it eventually can become a great oak. And then you, you look at the Lord telling his people after he's told them, seek for zion this ideal that he knows they're going to struggle he knows it's not going to happen overnight 
And then he gives many promises. And then in verse, in section 64, in verse 33, where he talks about be not weary, like you said, but at the end of that verse, when he says, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. And that is us. Out of small things and out of small changes in our lives. You know, sometimes there are times when you have to make huge changes. You got to pack up, you got to move, you got to migrate, you got to do something, you got to change all your friends, you know. But the majority of meaningful changes in our life happen on days that feel pretty mundane. <laughs> you know, yeah. just a little thing. Take a little time to think about a scripture. Take a little bit of time to pray. Take a little bit of time to do this. And that over a lifetime will help these Christ-like attributes in our in our mandate, in our choice that we made when we were baptized to follow Christ. It will make that all make sense. Um, and likewise, I think Satan rejoices in, I think the principle works both ways. Where out of bad small things, it can, in time, little tiny bad habits can, if, you, if left unattended, and, and you kind of go into cruise control mode, can lead you to worse habits and worse things until it can derail the whole boat. I remember, I think it was President Monson, back in the day he spoke about this great tree that they had and that in a thunderstorm, you know, it just kind of split in half and fell apart. <laughs> and they found in there that there was an axe head or mm. like a wedge that was left in there. And the tree had grown around it, and it appeared strong. But given enough time, that wedge was enough to break the tree, you know. And and so, and you know, it. This is all. I mean, we're all in this together. I mean, we all have di different wedges. We all have different temptations, and, and we all have different degrees and places where we are in the progression you know some and that's why we we need to always seek the lord's advice you know and he sets the cadence and we just have to obey sometimes it like like he's told us it's not needful for you to run faster than you have strength and sometimes we want to i want to change everything about me right now and if it doesn't work and, and i don't feel all the improvement right away i'm giving myself uh, a week let's do it you know <laughs> No, sometimes it's going to take time, you know, and I go back to that, to that scripture, you know, where it tells us in, in section 64, verse 32, but all things must come to pass in their time. And, and that's, I think when we start understanding the, the, this principle of timing and progression and changes, we start to begin to understand what charity, what that pure love of Christ is, where he can look at us. And even though we're not finished you're doing well where you're at in the phase that you're at, as long as you continue to progress. You know. It reminds me of uh, the sprinter Usain Bolt. He said, I train four years to run for nine seconds. And people give up trying to change themselves after two months. <laughs> That's true. You know? Yeah. And you look at that and you say, the daily grind of those four years, there must be days when you're like, what am I doing? Who cares? I, do, am I even doing the right thing? Am I eating the right stuff? Am I training the right way? All of it has to come to a culmination in a nine-second sprint of 100 meters. How do I know that all every day of these four years is going to help me to accomplish that? 
you just have to trust the system, you know, trust the process that you're in and not give up. And that's that's the difference between uh, success and failure is it's completely in your in your mind of every day, even when it's very hard, even when you don't feel like you have it in you saying, I'm just going to get through this day because this is part of a bigger thing. In the end, this will matter, too. You know, one thing for me that when I was preparing to go on my mission, my young man's president, Brother Benyon, <laughs> he's a great guy. He really impacted me. You know, you know, when you're I, I, I wanted to go, you know, but you're always scared, you know, and, and stuff. And he said something to me. He said, you know, whether you go or not, two years are going to go by. What would you have rather have done? And that to me was the clincher. That was when the, I made the decision. Yeah, I would rather go. And and sometimes we, we have to say to ourselves in our life, you know, this year, you're like, we're already halfway through the year. And it feels like we sneezed and we're halfway through the year. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, we didn't because no pun intended. maybe you have yeah. something. <laughs> no pun intended. But it's like our lives are going to pass us by. Yeah. You can try to stop it, but you're not stopping time. That's time happens to everyone. And I hate to go back to this, but all things must come to pass in their time. And so is with this experience, this mortality. What would you have rather have done? And we are just even this existence itself continuously reminds us of constant renewal. The way we have to go to bed every night, wake up in the morning, feed ourselves. You can't just take one shower. You're going to need another one. There's a constant thing in our existence where we have to learn to constantly improve, constantly apply principles. We're not done yet. What would you have rather have done, you know? Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing. For we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.